Welcome to Life-Giving Water Messages, where I expound upon the Word of God and, through the internet, deliver it to you. My name is Rev. Todd Laddick, and today I'm bringing to you a message entitled, All Gave Some and Some Gave All, uh, based off of Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. So let us dive into the Word today. After this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshipped God. They sang, Amen, blessing and glory and, glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the twenty-four elders asked me, Who are these, uh, who, are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty, they will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Amen. Our faith in Jesus requires us to go all in. To not do so not only pushes Christ aside, it fails to witness to the power and glory of God to a world so desperately in need. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. I cannot think of a group of people who give more than good mothers do. Amen? Not everyone is fortunate to have such a mom. And we need to acknowledge that. But the archetypical mother, and truly the archetypical parent, gives all of themselves for their children. I drive past Sussex Tech all the time, and I'm sure you all know that there's a, a, a veterans cemetery there now. Um, and I've had the honor of actually officiating two gravesides there, and I can see the archway entering the cemetery, and on that archway it reads, All gave some, some gave all. In the military, this motto refers to the fact that all who served in the military sacrificed some something. I mean, they all did. They've all sacrificed some things. Uh, that's the nature of service. But some have sacrificed everything meaning that they died in combat. 
but that is only half true. I mean, some in the military end up dishonorably discharged and gave even less of the sum than others. Some went AWOL, some, you know, whatever. And truthfully, all of our faithful, honorable men and women in arms are willing to give everything, even if they don't end up dying. So yes, literally, technically true. I mean, all gave some, some gave all, meaning some gave their lives. And when you go into a national cemetery or uh, you go into a, a veteran cemetery, you it, it's it moves you to silence and to reverence. I mean, these people gave everything they had. Some of them, anyway. Some of them who were buried there lived their full lives. But they still were willing to give up everything. Even if they didn't end up dying in the end, even if they lived their full lives, they were willing to. So in my book, that still counts as giving all. Willingness and determination at least half is at least half of the battle, if not more. So in the church, the same is true. It is not so much that we are expected to die for Jesus, that death is the only way we can serve Jesus. Quite the contrary, we are expected to live for Jesus. But we should be willing to die for him as well. We should be willing to. Not that we will die for him literally, but we should be willing to die for him as well. I want to point out something that may not seem so obvious to you now, but after considering our scripture reading today, it will hopefully become painfully obvious by the end of this sermon. I want to point out to you this fact. For most of our lives, we have been sold a bill of half-truths. This is true socially. We're told that only the strong survive, and then we see the strong get upset when the weak are being helped. <laughs> We're told that might makes right. We're told that good things come to those who wait. We're told that God helps those who help themselves. And we're told that you get what you put in. And also that what goes around comes around. I mean, all of these things have truth to them. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That's why, we, that's why they are known as truths. But they're really only half-truths. Because let's be honest, do good things always come to those who wait? I've waited for things, and then it turns out whatever I waited for was discontinued or sold out, and I couldn't get it. I mean, good things don't always come to those who wait. Um, but anyway, this is, this is also true in the church. We're told that God loves us just as we are. Well, this is true. But that does not mean God wants us to stay just as we are. Change is involved. We are told the church is God's house. Well, meaning that it is holy, set apart for worshiping God and a, and a sanctuary for sinners. Now, the sinners part aside for a moment, is it the church building that's God's house, the building structure, or is the church the people that is God's house? So that, okay, that's one, one uh, discrepancy. But then let's get back to the sinners, a sanctuary for sinners. Do you ever find sinners in a church? Or do you find judgmental holy rollers who think they are beyond sin? And we've all been next to people like that who forget that they're sinners, that 
that they're they're part of the church because of their sin, because they recognize they're sinners and that Jesus has forgiven them. I mean, that's the whole point of Christianity, right? Do you know most people know what some churches are against, for sure? Like, for instance, you know, you ask people what is the church against, you'll get answers like abortion, homosexuality, licentiousness, Hollywood, secular music, and culture, etc. You know, those are the common answers because those are the outspoken Christians who are against those things are out there petitioning it all the time. So people mostly know what the church, or at least some churches, are against, rather than what the actual church is for, which is glorifying Jesus Christ through serving and loving others and building his kingdom of love here on earth as it is in heaven. You will never hear somebody answer that when you ask them, what does the church stand for? No, you'll hear all of the things the church supposedly stands against. And of course, it depends on what church, right? In our scripture today, we find ourselves in the midst of a vision that John of Patmos is having. He is envisioning being in heaven, standing before the throne of God and of the Lamb, and surrounded by all of the heavenly beings, the 24 elders. By the way, 12 plus 12 equals 24. The 24 elders represent both the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12, tri uh, the 12 disciples and a crowd of witnesses dressed completely in white. When John is asked, uh, and then admits to not knowing who this vast crowd is, he is told that they're all the people who died during the Great Tribulation. They're all the martyrs, all of the ones who gave it all for Christ, including their own lives. They're the vast crowd of witnesses to the glory of Christ and his kingdom. Now, we are not told how they died. I mean, perhaps they died naturally. Maybe they lived to the end of their age, like some of those soldiers in the uh, veteran cemeteries. Maybe they, they died naturally, but lived faithfully during that time. Perhaps, as, a great, as Great Tribulation suggests, they were persecuted. In fact, they were being persecuted for their faith, regardless of how they died. Perhaps they were tortured, crucified, lit up like human torches, or fed to wild beasts. But these are the people who stuck with Jesus and endured to the very end. Now, notice that I am speaking of these people as if they already died. As if they were people so far from some far gone time in place. But we also must make note that this vast crowd, too vast to count, is being envisioned by John, who is having a vision of what is to come, of the future. Now, historians and critical scholars alike will tell you that the Great Tribulation that John might be referring to is that of Nero and the time under Nero. But he is not pointing to Nero, John that is, is not pointing to Nero in order to highlight one single moment in history. That's clear. Rather, Nero's persecution and Nero himself, uh, Nero himself and Nero's persecution of Christians is the archetype of the kind of suffering God's people have gone through. And that their suffering, their pain, their tears, their deaths are no more 
They've been spared by the blood of the Lamb from death, and they are sheltered by the one who sits on the throne. In other words, what John is painting for us here, my friends, is a beautiful scene following great horror. These are people, these are God's people throughout the millennia. Not just those who died under Nero or any other emperor in John's day and age. Not just those who died for serving Christ, but all of God's people who have remained faithful at great cost. And God has not abandoned them. They are those who died before Nero, those who Nero killed, those who countless other people persecuted. They are the Mary Magdalene's, the Peter's, the Paul's, the Francis's of Assisi's, the Jones of Arc, the Martin Luther's, the John Wesley's, the Martin Luther King Jr.'s, the Mother Teresa's, and get ready for this, to put it in Jersey terms, use guys. <laughs> you all are being called. You are all called to be among those faithful who live and die for Jesus Christ. Think of the people in your own life who came before you. Who are those people? How they witness to Jesus' love to you and to others, and that's why you're in the church. That's why you're a part of this, because of their faithfulness. We're all called to be those faithful uh, disciples who live and die for Jesus Christ. And the good news is, despite these weak and frail bodies, we won't die because Jesus ain't in the death business. Amen? These bodies are on borrowed time, but in God we are immortal, and one day we will have an unperishable, perfect body, immortal, to clothe ourselves with. Friends, According to scripture, we are among the vast crowd that John saw. I'll say that again. According to scripture, we are among the vast crowd that John saw. Just as surely as John was. We are the ones who, in our time must be faithful to Christ no matter the cost. We are the ones who are being called to serve others as Christ has served us. We are the ones who are being called to show love to all people, including our enemies. We are the ones being called to give of ourselves so that others may come to know Jesus. So let me ask you, how are you witnessing to your faith in your household, in your neighborhood, and in the community at large? How are you witnessing to your faith in and among your brothers and sisters here in our congregation or whatever congregation you worship in? Christ is calling you to witness to your faith always in everything you do. Have you considered what that looks like, like in your life? How you react to people? How you treat people? how you serve others, how you visit the sick and imprisoned. Oh, yes, you can. I hear you saying you can't do that. Yes, you can. When Satan says, by the way, you can't do that, say, go away, Satan. With God, I can do anything. Amen? 
When Satan says you can't do that, say, go away, Satan. With God, I can do anything. Church, we find ourselves at a crossroad. All churches find themselves at this crossroad. Either we rise up with Christ and do the work he has laid before us, or we can say, you know what, Jesus, thanks, but no thanks. We've been there, we've done that, we're not up for learning anything new, don't want to do it, thanks, have a nice day. Every church must answer this question. Will we be the church of folks who gave some, but not much more than that? Do we want to be a people who gave their bare minimum? Or we can be folks who, like the great crowd of witnesses who came before us, my grandparents and grandparents and their ancestors, your parents, your grandparents and their ancestors, we can be folks like we can be folks like the great uh, crowd of witnesses and continue the legacy of Jesus Christ in our communities and beyond. We can do that. I don't know about you, but I'm ready. And I have faith in Jesus Christ in and through you to know that you are ready too. So let's do this. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we just thank you and praise you for this opportunity to be here and to listen to this message, which inspires us, reminds us that we're loved and that we're a part of a great family that is immortal. But Lord, we also ask you to... um, you know, challenge us to rise up to be as faithful as those who came before us so that we may too witness to your love and power as well. And all these things, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, thank you for tuning in. I want to remind you that, um, uh, that it is always a pleasure to have you here. I also want to point you to the episode notes. There's links there to give. If this is uh, your main spiritual feeding for the week, please consider giving to us. If not, and you attend another church, uh, give to them. And if you have it in, it in you to give to both of us, well, gee, that would rock too. So uh, uh, none of us would be upset about that, and we'd be both appreciative, and it would go a long way. But in all things, friends, remember, you are richly blessed. You really are. So be a blessing to others. Go in peace. <laughs>